any resources that you guys actually have curated, you know, for uh, undergraduates and also for people who uh, are hoping to apply overseas, you know, do you guys have any resources that can help them figure out what college is maybe best for them to help them guide them along the way, you know, in their navigation of their options? Yeah. So we have our website, uh, projectaccess.org, which you can go on. It has lots of really helpful uh, resources which are freely available. So you can look at those. Um, it has stuff about universities. It also has stuff about applications and things like that. Mm. So you can definitely look into that. Um, we also have the mentorship, as I mentioned earlier, which you can sign up for um, if it is something that you would find helpful. Um, so it would be paired with a mentor who can help guide you through the process because they've you know, just done that process mm. themselves. Um, and then I guess apart from that, you are also very welcome to uh, you know, send us a message over Instagram or to uh, send us an email. We have lots of resources. We run webinars quite frequently, uh, both as Project Access and also um, with schools. So we have lots of resources and we're very, very happy to just you know, get in touch and, and chat about some thoughts or questions that you might have. Right, right, right. Uh, I see. I think that'll be a great help for you know those who are seeking you know opportunities and so at the same time seeking some guidance for those who may be lost. I think I myself will be checking out the resources over project access over pretty soon too. Mm, I think uh we can dive into some differences that some of us may be wondering about between you know US and UK universities, which are more the more popular choices for local students. Yeah, so I think um previously you had already tackled this question about you know the myth, you know, that is it true that UK universities are more academically inclined while US universities are more focused on, you know, extracurriculars, your personality, you know, taking a more holistic approach to it. So to what extent would you think that this is true, that maybe in my application, uh, in my personal statement for the UK universities, I don't really need to mention anything about myself. I just need to list my achievements, whereas for my personal statements for US universities, I really need to concoct a very interesting story to promote myself, you know, put myself out there. So to what extent would you say that this, this myth is true? I would say it's probably quite true that UK universities tend to be more academically focused and US universities tend to be more holistically kind of focused, um, particularly in terms of their admissions. So um, yeah. So you, it is one way to think about writing personal statements and how to angle them. Um, that being said, I would say there's probably still a lot more nuance to how you might mm. want to prepare a personal statement. So for UK personal statements, uh, we would strongly advise you not to just list your achievements. Right, I right. think what's more interesting is your academic competencies. So basically, mm. why would you be a good student? right? So that can in part come from your own sort of academic experience. So um, the things that you've studied or if you've done a project, you know, things that you've taken part in, those can be one aspect of it. But it is also possible to write about things outside of merely your grades. You can write about any, you know, other relevant experiences that you've had, online courses that you've taken, hobbies, mm -hmm. and so on, as long as you can frame them as having relevant transferable skills, which is like a phrase that we really, <laughs> we really like, because I think it's really helpful to understand. So right. firstly, it must be relevant to the course that you're applying for, right? Like what would make me, for example, a good economic student, right? Mm -hmm. And then think about the skills that are required for an economic student and then 
think about the experiences that you've had, which may have given you those skills or qualities, which can be transferable into the university context. So yeah, so definitely don't just list your achievements. Mm. Um, think about how you can elaborate on them more to display and demonstrate the kinds of qualities that you have. So show rather than tell. And then for, for US admissions and applications and personal statements, um, yes, it tends to be more about you as a person and your perspective and your unique sort of opinions and how well you would be as a fit in the university. Yeah, so to the end, US personal statements tend to be more freeform. They tend to uh, not be necessarily restricted to particular kinds of contents or particular kinds of structures. You're very welcome to write in a more narrative style to tell an interesting story. Yeah, and, and perhaps one way to, to get a start is by looking at what other people have written. So for example, the New York mm -hmm. Times uh, annually publishes some uh, examples of uh, US application essays, which I think can be a, a good way to, to kickstart this process, you know, by seeing right. what somebody else has written about, uh, thinking about their style, how they managed to tell a unique story. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be about extracurriculars. It doesn't, you know, again, it doesn't have to be, I have a really impressive portfolio, accept mm. me. You know, mm. um, what's more important is that framing, that unique perspective right. or take that you have on something which could, you know, honestly be totally mundane or banal. So mm. um, you may have read uh, a couple of years ago, this uh, essay by a girl who was just talking about her experience going supermarket grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. Right, which is which seems like a totally everyday kind of occurrence, but right. the way that she wrote about it, the way that she expressed her own unique perspectives through that story was what made her essay stand out. So mm. yeah, so I would say that's maybe those are some tips on how to approach the different personal statements. Right, right. I see. I think touching on I mean personal statements, right? So I think this is a struggle that a lot of us may, you know, um it, it may seem very daunting for a lot of us and we may dread it, you know, that big task, the personal statement. So, and we know that, it, of course, it takes a lot of time to, you know, slowly curate it, slowly uh, edit it and modify it until, you know, it's the perfect one that we wish to send in. So how long would you actually recommend spending on these application essays? You know, was there a, like a rough schedule that you followed yourself when you wrote yours for the UCAS application? Yeah. Um... I mean, for me personally, I applied in mm. the second year of my NS. So that's probably not exactly the same as uh, lots of other people. For example, if you're not, if you don't need to serve NS, you'll be applying right. in your A-level year, perhaps, unless you're thinking of taking a gap year, for example. Mm. Um, so probably the process will be slightly different. But what I would say is um, start as early as is possible. <laughs> um, even if like you're, let's say, in J1 or year five, it's not too mm. early to start thinking about it. Right, to at least have started the, the consideration process. Um, and what can be really helpful as a way to start, if you're really like totally stuck and you have no idea, is to go back to that brainstorming thing. Right? So mm. I mentioned thinking about some of the activities and experiences that you've had and how they sort of cluster to form uh, interest areas which might inform what you're passionate about and then you can choose a course. Those things and experiences also would be really interesting and helpful ways to start thinking about examples that you can put into your personal statement. Um, if you can frame it in a manner that, you know, demonstrates how you would be a good fit. So, um, so for example, you can definitely start that brainstorming process early, you know, 
as early as is relevant. You can be, for example, journaling about your relevant experiences that you think could play a role in your personal statement, or you could be journaling, you know, thoughts that you've had or, you know, reflections on media that you've consumed, for example. Um, and yeah, and certainly, as you said, you want to leave lots of time to have multiple drafts to, you know, go away, come back with fresh eyes, perhaps even to have somebody else look over it and to give you feedback. So yeah, I would say it's, it's not too early to start. I think the, the process for everyone will look slightly different because you know best yourself how long you might take to write. So, you know, if you write all the time, it might be relatively easy to come up with a convincing narrative structure. If this is like your very first time doing anything quite like this, then perhaps you might need more time. So uh, it also depends on like where you're applying to. So for example, in the UK, you only fill in one personal statement for all five UCAS options that you apply to. Whereas in the US, you need one separate one for each university that you're applying to. And if you're applying to different universities that use different portals or different systems, you may be writing on completely different prompts and topics. Mm -hmm. So definitely for the US, you may need to allocate more time just because of the sheer number of essays. So perhaps what is most important as a sort of general guiding principle is to lay out all of the deadlines that you have, like including all of the universities you're applying to, including things like your prelims and your A-levels or IB, uh, and also including things like scholarships or scholarship deadlines and applications if you are applying to those. Um, just make sure to have a really clear schedule and then work backwards from there to estimate how much time you might need. And I would say always over-allocate because you always need more time than you expect you would need. So just you know, save yourself some of the stress and start as early as possible. Um, I would say if you are intending to apply for the upcoming cycle, now is a really, really great time to start. It's always good to start as early as right. possible. Mm -hmm. I think that another question that our audience sent in, you know, and we often see in our webinars is that uh, for US applications, right, how many should I actually apply for? You know, do I concentrate all my efforts into, you know, just a few applications or should I just, you know, cast a wider net, you know, just go for all the options that I may be interested in? I think, again, it also sort of depends on mm. you and your interests and also your, your time and the other aspects of your calendar. I certainly know of people who applied to upwards of 10 wow. uh, US universities, which is a lot. Honestly, that's a huge mm. time commitment. Like, there's, there's no sort of sugarcoating it. It, right, is, right. it is quite a lot of effort. And also perhaps something to consider potentially a lot of money because potentially mm. different applications might require you to play an application uh, cost or fee but if it is really something that you know if you're really really keen on going to the US and it doesn't matter too much to you which of those universities you attend then go for it if you can afford the time and resources but I also do know of people who were only really interested in like a small number of US colleges and if they didn't make it into any of those they would just have not chosen to go to the US and, and would have chosen to go somewhere else perhaps uh, Singapore where maybe the application requirements are a bit uh, easier for Singaporeans so they, they devoted their time to only those few that they really 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 wanted to get into so I would say yeah it depends on your interest it depends on what you're hoping to get out of your university education and whether you would be happy attending however many of the colleges that you apply for and certainly you know if you feel like uh, applying to universities would take a significant toll on the on like for example your grades and, and whatever then you definitely want to 
find a helpful balance and not sort of just overcommit yourself into the application process. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and again, the same thing sort of applies, which is to always over allocate the amount of time you will need to take for each application. Um, so you don't like, sort of burn yourself out and by, by having to rush everything. It does become gradually easier the more, uh, the more you do it. So mm. maybe the first one is a real struggle where you're finding it difficult to articulate clearly what you mean. But after maybe the third or fourth one, it becomes a bit easier to get a hang of the kinds of expectations that US colleges are looking for. So it, it does get easier, but again, you know, try not to rush things. Um, think about what's a reasonable selection of courses that uh, of colleges that you'd be happy to study at and apply to those. Think again about maybe your reach match and your safety options and perhaps have a have a combination of those um, so that you know perhaps your your chances of getting right. into any one of these options might be a bit better. Yeah. Mm. So basically the summary is it depends on you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that you know um, maybe moving past that personal statement, you know, if you're actually lucky enough, you know, qualified enough to actually get the next phase, which is the interview, right? Um, I think a lot of us may think about, you know, is there a difference between the type of, you know, uh, preparation I should be making between US and UK interviews? Is there like um, certain angle I should take towards each school, you know, what should I look out for when I'm preparing for these interviews? Yeah. So, Maybe first on UK interviews, mm. um, not all courses and not all universities require an interview. Oxford and Cambridge do for all courses. Um, and I believe also some other uh, universities such as um, Imperial. But mm. again, this is not a requirement that's present for all courses. So definitely do check the university websites for information. And the UK interview, again, because of the UK kind of university and admissions focus tends to be a bit more academically inclined, particularly for Oxbridge interviews. An interview could really just look like a mock kind of tutorial, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're given some problems and then you have to articulate your, your thinking process, what you think about the problem and how you can get to the solution, for example. Um, so for those, it's really, one, it's important to have some background knowledge if that is relevant. So for example, if you're applying mm -hmm. for a maths degree, definitely you want to you know, have your maths down firm. Right. Uh, this is particularly relevant if you are doing your interviews, say in your second year of NS and it's been a while since you've taken your exams, maybe you want to spend some time brushing up on some core concepts. Mm. Um, but other than that, it's just being able to think critically, being able to look at a problem and sort of try to think about how to address it on the spot and then being able to articulate what you mean clearly. So this includes, you know, your thinking process and your working so perhaps, you know, you, you are struggling to get it all the way to the answer, but if you can explain what your thought process is, mm. maybe the interview can guide you along maybe the last one or two steps which you are struggling with. So that's what UK interviews tend to be like. They may also potentially ask you about other things such as your personal statement. So you definitely want to have a look at your personal statement before going into the interview or just uh, other kinds of general questions depending on the particular institution and what they're looking out for. But in general, one rule of thumb is that they tend to be quite academically focused. Mm. The US interviews play a kind of different role. So US tend, the US tends to have alumni interviews where you're interviewed not by a member of the faculty, but by alumnus of oh, the institution. Um, and this has 
Again, different forms depending on the college. And again, not all colleges have this as a requirement at all. But it could, you know, some past examples that, that we've heard of include, you know, people just having general conversation about a topic of interest or about politics or about, you know, some kind of current affairs. It could also just be, you know, a more informational kind of interview where, where the alumnus is sort of sharing about their experiences at university, what college culture is like and, you know, what it's like to have an education at the university. So there, there is a variety and it tends to be much more broad than a UK interview. It also tends to be a bit more informal, a bit more conversational. So perhaps the, the US you know, interview is it's just like getting to know somebody and, and having a conversation with them. So perhaps less uh, preparation needs to go into that. Mm, right, right, right. We just have one last question. Uh, I think it's a more of a fun question I've saved for the last that one of our audience sent in through our Instagram DMs, you know, when we were sourcing for questions for this episode. It's a throwback to the question about funding and, you know, how it may cost a lot for uh, us to study overseas. I think one question this student has for you, that do you have any, you know, any personal experiences, any interesting stories of you having, you know, have to stretch that dollar when you were studying overseas, you know, any like uh, hacks that you had, you have to can, you can share <laughs> with us, you know, about you really having um, that, maybe that urge to eat something, but you uh, thought of something else, do you have any interesting stories? Yeah, wow. What an interesting question. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of ways to be prudent with your spending. Mm. Um, it could look like cooking rather than eating out. I think that's a big right. money saver um, because uh, eating out tends to be quite expensive, both in the US and the UK. Mm. And if you know how to cook, that's a really useful skill to have because groceries tend to be more, much more inexpensive. Um, I really like window shopping in supermarkets, which is a really strange thing. But I, when I was in Oxford, I used to like just pop into, say, Tesco's mm. and then look at like what's on offer, like what's on discount. They usually have a discount rack, which is like things that are soon to expire. Right. Um, and that's a really good way to get great deals. Now also, mm. I mean, I can speak more for the UK because, uh, you know, I spent two years there. Um, right. But there are sort of lots of discount options. So, mm. for example, for some places, especially like... Uh, takeaway sushi places mm. uh, they want to clear their food at the end of the day so they might have a discount in the last half an hour or last one hour of their operations so that's a good time to get uh, a snack or a supper if you're interested um, mm. there are also lots of apps like uh, the dealer or too good to go um, mm. which sort of yeah just has deals or in particular for too good to go i think that's a really uh, interesting sort of initiative which uh, uh, again for, for restaurants which want to clear their stock right. by the end of the day um, they don't want the food to go to waste. So they mm. offer a sort of like kind of package deal where oh. you, know, you, you pay, for example, uh, four quid and then you just get a Tupperware full of food, like wow. whatever wow. random food that they have <laughs> left over. Mm. So, so that's, that's that. those are definitely options. Yeah, I think food is a, is a great way to, to save money, mm. which I guess can offset some of the costs, some of the lifestyle and living costs or could also go into doing other kinds of fun stuff like if you're interested in travel and mm. you want you know you're on a budget that's one way to save money so that you can uh, spend it more while you're traveling right 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 mm. i think some of those are interesting life hacks that you know our listeners will be you're out for you know and they may actually adopt in the future right so with that we've actually come to the end of this podcast episode and before we say goodbye here's a short summary of all that we've covered on today so firstly alvin we touched on some of 
our common doubts and worries of even pursuing an overseas education in the first place. So well, rest assured because Alvin here has given us some great insight into the ways in which we can approach this important phase in our life. So Alvin, you shared with us that despite the many myths of stringent requirements or even the number of extracurriculars we have to take up to pursue an overseas education, it's important that we take a chance on ourselves and explore the wide variety of options available. While it is essential to perform to the best of our abilities in school, you mentioned that it's also crucial to do thorough research into the university of our choice and put in our best efforts for the applications. So I hope that for those of you listening to this episode, we hope that we can give you this final push of confidence for the upcoming application cycle. So other than that, Alvin has also highlighted some of the key differences between applications to US and UK universities which I'm sure are, many, are on many of our minds when we ponder about these top destinations. For instance, I've been emphasized on the ways in which we can better shape our personal statements to suit the colleges better, and also shared some excellent tips on what interviewers often pick up on from their respective destinations. Right, so I think with that, I just want to thank Alvin uh, from Project Access today for because he, I think he really covered all the bases. He really answered all our questions very well. And I'm sure that our listeners um, thank you a lot for helping them to guide them through this often tedious journey that they may be scared of. And I think that if our listeners uh, want to have more resources, they can actually go on to projectaccess.org to look at their webinars or even drop in a text in our Instagram DMs if you have any queries. So I think with that, we'll end the podcast episode for today. Thank you so much, Alvin, for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time as well. Thank you.